Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 25th, 2021, including people are loving Halo Infinite but hating its progression system, Phil Spencer speaks up on Activision's harassment story, these GTA remasters are all kinds of messed up, and more. So I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted at the moment because as I'm hitting record, I'm doing a little bit of research here on Wednesday night, the eve of Thanksgiving, as I'm preparing my first prime rib roast. So you guys, I I got the prime rib all salted up, all kosher salted and and ready to go. It's in the refrigerator right now, uncovered. And uh, I'm starting to worry a little bit because I've never done this before. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, is it... Is it okay to just leave it in a refrigerator uncovered like this for, you know, a day and a half, two days? But I rest assured, my research here is showing that this is a really, really good technique for helping to tenderize and really uh, bring out the flavor and somewhat dry out the exterior of the meat. So, guys, fingers crossed this works out. You'll know because next week I'll either be telling you that I got food poisoning or I'll be telling you how good this steak was. So... Man, oh man, I'm really looking forward to this. But yeah, with that said, guys, all of you in the U.S., because it's a very specific holiday, happy Thanksgiving. This episode is going live on November 25th, Thursday, Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Now, I know our friends in Canada already had their Thanksgiving a few weeks ago, which I failed to address. So happy belated Thanksgiving to you. And then, I don't know, other parts of the world, maybe they have some kind of whatever. You know, it's one of those things. America's like, hey, we're celebrating something, so everyone shut up. It's all about us. So anyway... I'm just excited to have a day off of work and to uh, try and eat some uh, prime rib and uh, some mac and cheese or something. We'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, guys. Welcome to episode 129 of Xbox On. It's a podcast all about the various cuts of the cow. Personally, my favorite's always been the ribeye. I understand the filet is a very classy cut, but I'll just be honest. I like it fatty. What can I say? Uh, that's definitely not what we're supposed to be talking about here, but I've, I've had meat on my mind a lot t- today. Not the... Not in the kind of way you're thinking. But guys, let's start out this week's episode with a couple things I want to address. Corrections, mistakes, updates, ponderings, various things that have crossed my mind over the course of this week that I just feel the need to cram into the top of this show as it relates to the Xbox brand home video game consoles released by Microsoft on November 15, 2001. Anyway, guys, there was a really cool panel discussion that happened this week hosted by, oddly enough, Reggie fils the uh, former head of Nintendo of America, but no, no longer as directly involved in the video games industry. Anyway, he was hosting a panel discussion that it was him and a handful of old Xbox executives, former Xbox executives, as well as some cor- uh, for, uh, current ones as well. We had Bonnie Ross there as well from 343. But yeah, it was Peter Moore, people like that. It was a very interesting, about 40 minute or so panel discussion where they just talked, you know, reminiscing a little bit about the Xbox brand back in the day versus now, but they also talk about some other things like, you know, Microsoft Mesh and Metaverse-related things, AR versus VR. They talk about a little tongue-in-cheek about some of the competition with PlayStation, Nintendo against Xbox back in the day, and just some really, really interesting insight from Peter Moore about the transition from 
Sega getting out of home consoles and then him jumping over to Xbox and kind of how the thing I've, I always mention when I talk about Sega, which is how in a way Xbox is the spiritual successor to the Sega home console uh, line of, you know, brand of, of consoles. So a I, I, very, very interesting listen. It's nothing like Earth. I mean, I saw a couple outlets trying to be like, oh, the big headline is Reggie fils admits that he had an Xbox before he had a GameCube. Oh, it was so scandalous. But really, there's nothing like super, uh, oh, wow, I never, I, I, I oh, wow, breaking news. You know, there's nothing like that. You're not going to get anything super juicy out of it, but it is a very thought-provoking and interesting and just fun uh, listen, especially if you're someone who's pretty interested in kind of the history and some inside baseball to how this uh, brand and industry work. So I highly recommend you check that out. The video can be found on YouTube. It's called Xbox Pioneers Creativity and Innovation, Past, Present, and Future. It was uploaded by the Microsoft Alumni YouTube page, so that's the way to find it. But with that out of the way, I just, just thought I'd mention that. A couple little anecdotes. Uh, Forza Horizon 5 has enjoyed the biggest launch ever in Xbox history. Now, this is in terms of player count, not sales, because we don't know anything about sales. In fact, the game probably hasn't sold all that well, thanks to Game Pass, but Forza Horizon 5 has reached more than 10 million players in its first week alone, which is a massive milestone when you really consider it, because yes, that's predominantly people with Game Pass subscriptions, and yes, the game's available on PC as well as Xbox consoles, but that's phenomenal. A a very, very, like, top-line, AAA, highly anticipated release would be, like, a couple million pe- players, you know, like, like I don't know, like, one to five million players in its first week. Forza Horizon 5 hitting 10 million players in its first week is uh, actually phenomenal, Considering the fact that also Forza Horizon 4, the previous Horizon game, which also launched into Game Pass, reached 2 million players in its first week. So they've more than exceeded this number by five times over, which is absolutely absurd. So this is great news for Game Pass. This is great news for Forza. And this is great news, I mean, for us, right? I mean, I I didn't fucking pay anything extra on top of what I was already paying for Game Pass to get access to this game. And it's a great game. So we're starting to see the snowball you know, roll down the hill, get larger and larger, kind of as it picks up momentum, and it's it's go it's becoming a thing, man. You got Forza, and you got Halo coming in a minute here, and it's it's only gonna get you know it's only gonna get bigger from here, guys. So this is this is the future of gaming. Whether or not this is you know gonna end up being the future we all hoped for or not, or whether this is gonna be all good or there's gonna be some unforeseen negative consequences as a result of this. There's no denying that Game Pass is the future and people are hungry for a service like this and why, and why wouldn't they be? But man, Forza Horizon 5, 10 million players in its first week. That is absolutely absurd. Can't wait to see what that number's like in a few weeks when Halo Infinite's um, campaign launches into Game Pass. That will be also very interesting to see. Now, with that all out of the way, you guys, we got an update on Activision shit, but it, this week it has a little more to do with Xbox directly. So we'll save that for the news this time, although that's normally something we just kind of touch on at the top of the show. So knowing that, I say we get we hightail it out of these little updates. You know, we talked about the steak. We talked about Thanksgiving. Let me know. What are you, what are you eating for Thanksgiving if you're celebrating? Let me know. Are you a turkey guy? Don't, don't be, don't be, listen, my girlfriend and I, we've decided, you know, since, since we started living together, why the fuck would we do turkey? Turkey is something you're just obligated to do, but it fucking, it's the worst. Turkey absolutely sucks. The best turkey is like a fraction as good as like the, the most mediocre chicken. Turkey is just not a great meat. So why 
hold yourself down by by being like, oh, well, it's Thanksgiving. Got to have a turkey. So we've been doing chicken the past few years. And last year, I was really quite happy with what we did. We did like a Cajun-style chicken. And it was quite nice. But this year, we decided, you know, fuck it. We're going to we're gonna change things up. So we're doing steakhouse Thanksgiving. We got, you know, we got the prime rib. We're going to have like the, the, the creamed spinach and the grilled asparagus and, you know, smashed potatoes and mac and cheese and uh, do like a like a layered chocolate cake for dessert, you know, start out some old fashions or some wine or something like that, you know, keep it a little a little steakhouse like a little classy. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. And uh, just let me let me throw it out there to you guys. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? What are you eating? Let me know. But no, I with with that non sequitur out of the way, guys, I just can't I can't stop thinking about it. You know, tomorrow I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to eat food tomorrow. I'm not going to. I'm not going to pack a sandwich and go to work and hate my job. I'm going to I'm going to go home and eat a goddamn steak. But with that all out of the way, all that very important top of the news type information to get out of here, I, I do want to say now's the time for our comments, shout outs and whatnot from YouTube.com. You know how it works. You head on over to YouTube.com slash C as in Charlie slash uh, Xbox on podcast. Boom. You hit enter and that's going to take you right to my channel. You hit the subscribe button because I know your brain's not that smooth and you're going to um, see the latest episode of the podcast. What are you going to do with that latest episode? Well, you're going to watch it from start to finish, of course, but you're also going to leave a comment and you can say anything really nice like Jesse. I hope your steak turns out perfect. I hope it's a beautiful medium rare and that's tender as can fucking be and flavorful as shit and that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Also, Call of Duty Vanguard sucks and Halo Infinite rules. And I'll be like, thank you. Thank you for the comment. I appreciate writing it as always. But you could also be a total asshole. You could say, Jesse, Thanksgiving is a day where Americans celebrate uh, imperialism and I think you are a terrible person for engaging in such a tradition therefore I'm unsubscribing to the Xbox on podcast and even though I don't own a, a PlayStation or play PlayStation or I have any interest in PlayStation I'm going to subscribe to a PlayStation podcast because PlayStation is the Native Americans of, of video game consoles and Xbox is just a white imperialist bastardization of, of video games and uh fuck you and i'll be like okay get off your high horse i don't know what the fuck you're talking about i'm just looking forward to eating some goddamn steak and and then we'll well, we'll read the comment but it's just fuck man like what the hell are you even talking about you know so happy thanksgiving H- henley merrill writes in and says happy thanksgiving i just want to happy thanksgiving to you too all right the vgas my brother wrote in a couple of you wrote in about this but we'll start with my brother who says i've played a handful of games of a game of the year nominees for the video game awards this year and i gotta be honest resident evil village deserves to win hands down not even close though i haven't played death loop yet well i can confidently say as someone who's only played like one of the games nominated or two of the games nominated i also kind of think resident evil i haven't played resident evil village but I have a feeling that Resident Evil Village is the game that, like, deserves it. Like, if I had played all of them, that would be my takeaway as well. I don't know. At the at the very least, I think Resident Evil Village is a very, a very, a very deserving candidate. Although, let's be honest, um, it's not a game that really, like, reinvented the wheel because it's a sequel to a game that reinvented the wheel with Resident Evil 7. But, I don't know, like, that really shouldn't, that really, that, that can be a, a, a factor, but that shouldn't be the sole factor in how you determine your game of the year, you know? Like, I mean, Metroid Dread's nominated for God's sake, and that's just yet another Metroidvania. So I don't know. I don't think it's a bad recommendation or a, a bad take, but uh, let's see what El Pardo has to say, who writes in with 
Jez Corden called his shots with the Game Awards and predicted the snub of Forza Horizon for Game of the Year. The bit I struggle with, I do uh, think he brought up, is that games journalist who gave it the highest score of the year on Metacritic, but also the same journalist who nominated Game of the Year ignored it. This, to me, is completely illogical. I did not expect it to win. But not even nominated makes their own reviews redundant. The annoying thing is I say all this, but I still watch, if only for the new games. Well, El, Pardon, El Pardo, that is uh, that is the main reason to tune into the Game Awards, of course, is for the announcements and the trailers and all that, that fun stuff. But one thing I, I do have to bring up that I don't think I mentioned last week is apparently the Game Awards, there's a hard cutoff date for release when a game can be considered for not an award, but the Game of the Year nomination award. So apparently Forza Horizon 5 released after that date, so it wasn't eligible to be considered for Game of the Year, um, but that's why it was still eligible to be considered for other awards. So apparently that that is true, and I mean, that's quite a significant explanation for why it wasn't included but i i still stand by jez corden's story and i still stand completely in agreement i'm pretty sure even if forza horizon 5 let's say launched in like september that it still would would not have been nominated for game of the year so i still feel pretty confident and comfortable in in declaring that but yes you 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 are right it, it just shows, it doesn't necessarily show the incompetency because that might not be the case. It more so just shows the disconnect where, and this is the Rotten Tomatoes thing, right? It's it's always the, hey, look at Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes and you see like new movie comes out, critics give it, you know, critic scores aggregate at like 90%, audience score 50% or vice versa. You know, like this Star Wars or Jurassic Park or Ghostbusters movie comes out and it aggregates a 50 because critics are like, ah, redundant, cash grab, stupid, play on nostalgia, who cares? And then audiences are like an overwhelming A plus uh, kind of aggregate score of, wow, I loved it, it's everything I wanted, it was so much fun to watch. And I think that's really at the heart of this in the video game space as well, where I think gamers, the audience at large, generally just think in terms of like, hey, the game that was the most fun to play is the game of the year, is the game that you had the most fun sitting down with, it was the most, it was the biggest pleasure to experience, why would that not be the game of the year, right? The game that is the most polished, the most well put together, has the most bang for your buck in terms of content, the best visuals, the best story, or the most fun gameplay, whatever it is you're looking for. The game that is just the the most fun and the best overall. Shouldn't that be game of the year? I think that's how audiences think, and I think a lot of critics come from the perspective of like, huh, what was the most artistic game, or what game had the most to say from like a from like a narrative perspective, or like in terms of social statement, or what what game really push the needle in a way you know we we had never seen done before i think that's kind of the disconnect and and that's not to necessarily defend critics or not i just think it's i'm just trying to set the stage in a really fair and honest way at least from my perspective so i don't know i don't think a game like forza horizon 5 stands a fucking chance with with the kind of uh panelists and and and, and critics that are involved in nominating and, and voting on games for a game of the year award but at the same time i think that's probably the reason why. But yes, uh, I will say for the final time, hopefully, and just, yes, in agreeance, watch the Game Awards, enjoy it because the announcements are fun, the excitement of it all is fun, just the whole idea that it's everyone coming together to celebrate games and to be hyped for new announcements, much like we get that way with uh, E3. I think that's what the Game Awards should all be about. Think about the actual awards part, like commercial breaks, just who the fuck gives a shit what a bunch of Kotaku writers, you know, thought was, was the... Uh, 
was the game with the with the you know the the best streamer of the year or the best influencer of the year or the game that brought about the most social change like who gives a shit what any of those people thought about that like that's as far as i'm concerned that is equal to the fucking orbit gum commercial that comes on in between game reveals you know so try not to think about it too too much but i do appreciate you writing el pardo and guys now i have a really serious um really serious matter to bring up uh, because tech daddy wrote in and you know he got to something i'm surprised no one said this as of yet so tech daddy shout out to you for being the one the one with the the gall to step up to the plate and say you know what i'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the question tech daddy writes in and says why are you downward on the cover art of your podcast are you shy did something interesting happen down there maybe you dropped something right as the photo was taken now tech daddy is of course referring to um the the picture the cover picture the key art of the xbox on podcast which is also my avatar i believe on youtube and other platforms as well for those who either don't recall or are driving and can't check or whatever just it's not important to them so why would they think about it yes my my picture is a picture of my original xbox avatar from the xbox 360 era this is the first avatar i ever made um, I did change the outfit and the pose a little bit, maybe at some point in high school. But this is like my original Xbox avatar I made in like seventh or eighth grade, you know, on the Xbox 360. So to be fair, <laughs> this is a this there's something. This is half me just being stupid and half probably me at 13 being like emo and brooding and being like, oh man, I, I don't want to take a picture of my avatar where he's like smiling at the camera. I'd rather take one where he's like looking down and being all like a uh, fucking, you know, just uh, poetic and in and, and emo and brooding because I don't know, some girl didn't like him or because I don't know, some something, something emo, right? I don't, I don't fucking know. So the answer is, I don't know, tech daddy. But I will say this, Tech Daddy, your profile pic is a Lego portrait of, I, I assume, yourself. And you're staring dead eye at the camera with a little a nervous smirk on your face. So I got to ask you, what's the story behind that? Is this a mugshot? If we zoom out further on your Lego face, are we going to see you holding up your inmate number? Are we going to see you in a jail uniform? What's the story behind that, Tech Daddy? Are you some kind of delinquent? Did you steal something, perhaps? Perhaps you you shoplifted. Speaking of Orbit Gum, did you were you five finger discounting Orbit Gum every time you checked out of the grocery store? What is the story behind this picture, Tech Daddy? You see, the thing about asking questions to a man about his profile picture is that you run the risk of having the tables turned. And now I'm asking you the question, Tech Daddy: Who is the man behind the tech? Who is the daddy behind the tech? Okay. Okay, now, a lot of you guys had to write in about the Halo Infinite progression system and the kind of all the fiasco and the complaining and the um, controversy surrounding that, so I want to jump into a, a handful of comments about that topic. DOG, the favorite child, the one and only, Dead Captain James writes in and says, The progression system is so bad that I actually don't even want to waste my time playing. Hope they do more than add 50 XP, XP match completion. So we'll get into some other ones, but let's just start with that. Or actually, let's read that together with EA Kings, uh, EA's 
A's, EA's King's comment who says, I have one complaint about Halo Infinite. It's monetization. You almost cannot unlock anything without paying. You can't even unlock the samurai helmet with, that was shown in the trailer. You need to buy it in the shop. So, yes, for those uninitiated, which I, I assume if you're even remotely involved in Xbox, you probably know what's going on. But Halo Infinite, the general consensus now that the multiplayer has been out for a week is... This game is super, super fun, really well, like, really polished, um, incredibly engaging. They, they got all the essential and core elements of this game completely on lockdown. It is such a good Halo multiplayer package. Great job. Two thumbs up, 343. Halo's back, baby. We love you. And then the other half of the conversation is, you know, coming from the same audience, too, is... The progression system sucks. You know, you got a, a battle pass, which is totally fine, but it is impossible to grind. There is no XP earned for getting kills or playing objectives in games. You simply only can progress on your battle pass to unlock goodies and, 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 and make progress and level up through doing challenges. There are daily and weekly challenges, and they mostly fucking suck. They encourage you to play against the objective of the game you're playing, and they take the fun out, and they're a super slog of a grind, and it kind of sucks. And everyone seems to universally be on the same page with this one. The only opposition I ever see to this argument are the people who are like, well, isn't the game just about it being fun? Like, isn't it sometimes, you know, just enough for the game to be fun? I don't play a game for microtransactions or for cosmetics. I play a game for gameplay to be fun and addicting. I kind of resent that counter argument, although I can somewhat relate to it because yeah of course halo is the most fun first person shooter ever made of course we're all here first and foremost because it's fun to play but don't don't try and take away the very reasonable and justified uh, frustration in the progression system because i think dead captain dead captain james and ea's king are entirely justified here in and being a little fed up with this. It, it does suck. It, it is notably shitty. I will say, I'm someone who has limited experience with battle passes. I've bought in the battle pass in Destiny before and pretty much done nothing with it. I have bought in the battle pass in Call of Duty Cold War before. And I grinded that thing out all the way to 100 and unlocked everything. I will say, for as much shit as Call of Duty takes and as, as greedy and slimy as Activision undoubtedly is, as someone with limited experience using battle passes, I will, I will say I think Call of Duty generally does a pretty good job with the battle pass in terms of how much good shit is in the battle pass, how reasonable it is to level the battle pass up throughout the duration of the season, and, uh, and, and how much it just kind of complements the experience of playing the multiplayer. Um, I think that's kind of where Halo fucks up. Is Halo has one massive advantage over every other game with the Battle Pass, and it's that the Battle Pass does not expire once you bought it. You know, if, if I buy the Season 1 Battle Pass, and then Season 1 ends, but I didn't finish grinding it out and unlocking everything in it, at any time I can, I can decide, I, I know it's Season 3 or 4 or whatever, but I actually want to focus my progression on grinding out that, that, that first Battle Pass that I never quite finished you know, doing everything in. So I love that pro-consumer uh, combating the fear of missing out by always allowing you to access that content if you want to work towards it. But that's about where the consumer-friendly approach of Halo Infinite ends for its progression system. Aside from that, it's complete trash. Because, in, like, if, for example, if I want to play Call of Duty and I want to grind out the Battle Pass, sure, there are plenty of things I can do to help speed up my progression, right? I can play modes that get you more XP. I can play 
uh, weapons that I'm, you know, that whatever. I don't know. There's so many things you can do. Certain events use double XP things. Buy Doritos and Mountain Dew, which literally give you double XP. I'm not even making that shit up. You know, play zombies. It's easy to grind out XP. There are plenty of ways you can get around what it is you want to do if all you're really focused on is just grinding the battle pass and not necessarily playing the game. You can play it that way. But Call of Duty's battle pass is very reasonable to where if I'm like, hey, I just want to turn off my brain and play some domination on, you know, on multiplayer right now, whatever. You can do that and just focus on playing domination, having a fun time. And as long, you know, as long as you keep playing, you will get a substantial amount of progress towards your battle pass simply for playing the game. And that is how that should work because you are paying money. Now, people who are much better at the game will progress faster. People who, uh, you know, spend a lot of money on tier skips and things like that can progress much faster sure but as someone who doesn't play call of duty as religiously especially once i'm over the initial hype of a new one coming out as someone who doesn't play that religiously i haven't found it to be too challenging to finish a call of duty battle pass so the fact that we're here with halo again that has a way longer season uh and no fear of missing out because you cannot you know miss out on that content if you bought the battle pass regardless of whether or not the season's over Halo is still the more frustrating game because Halo, the progression is so slow and it's constantly like, okay, well, it has this matchmaking system where I can't just choose Slayer and play only Slayer. I have to play this mixed playlist of like Oddball and Strongholds and all these and Capture the Flag and shit. And, you know, my challenge is like win three matches of Oddball, but fuck, it keeps putting me in strongholds. I'm pissed. You know, I can't get any XP, any progression in the battle pass until I just happen to matchmake in strongholds and win three matches, whatever it is, you know? So that's frustrating as hell. Or it's like get 10 kills with the Pulse Carbine. You're like, wow, the Pulse Carbine is the worst fucking weapon in the game, and I hate using it, but I cannot progress in this battle pass unless I get 10 kills with this stupid fucking Pulse Carbine. So you're forced using a weapon you hate. And I understand the concept it's supposed to encourage you to play other modes and use other weapons and do things like that, but when your only means of XP is those challenges and nothing else, you're not getting a, a generous amount of XP for winning or just for getting the most kills or whatever it is. There's no performance-based XP earned. Mm, you, you fuck it up because now you're encouraging, you know, the, the people playing strongholds not to focus on capturing the, the stronghold locations. You're instead encouraging them to focus on getting those 10 kills with the pulse carbine. And the, the person, you know, who's supposed to play five matches of oddball it's like okay well i don't have to win five matches of oddball this one says i just have to play five matches of oddball so what i'll do is i'll get in this oddball match but instead of focusing on the objective i'll focus on getting my 10 assists for this other weekly challenge and again you just have all these people who are so hyper focused on these really rigid and stupid ways to to progress in the game that they're ignoring the objective of the actual game and so it's pissing off the teammates and it's also making the game less fun for the player themselves because they're not playing the game and progressing as a result. They're playing the game in a way to progress the battle pass and not actually enjoy the game in the way that they want to play it. So it's just this very shitty, cyclical, frustrating mess of a progression system. And I think as someone who seems, it may seem like I'm really, really bothered by it the way I'm talking about right now, as someone who I think falls a little bit on the side of I'm not too concerned about it, um, I completely understand and sympathize with people who are really frustrated with this because it is a very shitty system. Now, 2343's credit, 
they've already done little quick fixes to try and make it better. Dead Captain James references the 50 XPS you get no matter what if you complete a match. They added that in a few days ago. It is better than nothing, but it is absolutely a stopgap kind of throw-in little patch to it, while they figure out you know a more a more helpful kind of overhaul that they're probably inevitably going to have to do at some point. So there's that and then 343 has already said you know we hear you loud and clear we know your frustrations with the progression system don't worry we're not ignoring it we're taking your feedback into account we're going to figure something out so i i keep saying you know i'm not going to let this get to me too much because i understand things are going to get significantly better just give it some time but at the same time i i get the frustration right now there's this fracture event going on everyone's trying to get this cool samurai armor but you have to do all these fucking little challenges and do all this little shit to unlock it and you only have one week and then it's gone until next month where there's another opportunity to do it for one week only and again you're not allowed to play the game you want to play and then progress you're just beholden to you know whatever the challenges say you have to do so i get it it is frustrating and uh man i i I don't know i don't have much to say this other than I'm very, very confident 343 is going to make right on this because the things that they could not afford to fuck up with Halo Infinite, they got right. You know, the gameplay is good. The 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 equipment is good. The guns are good. It feels like classic Halo to the people who are obsessed with Halo forever feeling like a goddamn 2004 shooter. And it also feels like a really fun, frantic, competitive, yet accessible multiplayer free-to-play shooter that everyone who isn't looking for a fucking old man's video game to enjoy in the year 2021, like me and people who actually liked Halo 5 and people who actually like modern video games and don't just hate everything because they're in their 30s and really upset that George Bush isn't present anymore or whatever the hell they're upset about all the time. So I think Halo Infinite did the perfect job of nailing all the really impossible things. Everyone seems generally like generally pretty pleased with the actual game itself, the thing that you cannot go back and patch, the thing that is what it is once it's out into the world. That is the important part. The progression sucks. It's a huge misstep. It's not great. And it's probably going to hurt them a little bit because right now is the time where they're going to have the most eyes on this game, the most attention surrounding this game. If they had everything 100% firing on all cylinders, it would be so good for the longevity of this product. But the fact that they at least have a really great core concept that's not buggy and does work really well is a lot better than, you know, them having a game with a very traditional, typical, and acceptable battle pass system. But the game is kind of shitty and no one really likes it. So... Again, I'm not too worried about it because I'm confident they will fix this very soon and it will get much better very soon. But I, I, I do see you guys out there upset about it. I do think it's justified. And I'm not going to act like I'm not upset about it either. It, when I play the game, it is definitely, it is definitely a fun deter for me. And, and I'll be, I'll be honest. I feel like I feel really shitty admitting this because I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years, just constantly every fucking Wednesday night talking into my microphone all by myself saying in my boxers repeatedly halo infinite halo infinite i love halo i got into xbox because of halo i love halo if master chief were single and ready to mingle i would be his fucking pringle i've been doing this shit for years just talking about this game non-stop hyping about this game non-stop now that halo infinite's out i don't know what it is maybe it's a little bit of like Maybe I'm just a little fatigued by all the people just not shutting up about Halo. Maybe it's because I played so much of the pre-flight alphas that I'm, like, a little fatigued. But, like, I am loving Halo Infinite, but I'm not glued to it the way I thought I'd be. Like, because I'm playing Halo Infinite almost every day, but I'm also still interested in, like, playing Skyrim, playing Vanguard, playing Battlefield 2042. I'm also, like, you know, there are times where I'm, like, I can say no. I don't, 
like there's sometimes I want to play one more game, but sometimes where I'm like, now's the time to go to bed. Or like, now's the time to go focus on this activity. I'm not so sucked into Halo Infinite right now that I can't do anything else but play. And I, I kind of feel bad admitting that, but I'm I'm absolutely loving the game. I know it's great. I can't wait for when the campaign comes out as someone who's more of a campaign guy than a multiplayer guy anyway. But um I don't know. I don't know what it, I don't know what to say about it. Maybe it's uh maybe it has something to do with the fact that the game is a little light on content. And I feel like for the most part, the final product of the multiplayer is just more of what we already played in the test flights, which is great, but I feel like it's missing a little something and I don't know. Maybe maybe the battle pass thing isn't the only problem, you know. Headhunting Halo also wrote in and says, Can't wait till it fixed the battle pass progression. It'll be here before we know it, and the game is solid. I'm happy the servers are wonderful. I'm worried considering what happened in Master Chief Collection. I got twenty three hours of game time in on this bad boy already, and I'm already and I'm only level nine on the battle pass. Definitely need to be fixed. Hope your girlfriend and kitty have a wonderful weekend. Cheers to Taco Bell's grilled cheese burrito. Mm. So yeah, I had hunting Halo, but that's that's exactly it, right? The game is super fun. It's it's wonderful, but yeah, it's like you've been playing twenty three hours and you're only level nine. I think I'm level I, I've probably only played like fifteen to twenty hours of it, and I'm level ten or eleven on the battle pass. And I'm level four on the fracture event. Like, it's not great. It's not at all great. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And yeah, you can spend money on other things in the store that are a little overpriced, in my opinion. You can spend money on tier skip, or not tier skips, but rather challenge swaps and things like that. And, or maybe you can do tier skips, I forget. But it, yes, there's a lot of really overpriced ways to spend your money if you want to get outside the battle pass and i know it's not great but again i'm very confident these things are going to be fine-tuned and adjusted and overhauled as as necessary you know over the course of the next few months to the point where i i'm pretty sure in six months you know when we're playing halo infinite loving it for all it is i'm pretty sure the progression system isn't the thing we're going to be bitching about you know we'll find something else to be complaining about by then maybe the delayed forge or multiplayer or something like that oh and mr miggy wrote in let's see let's see what mr miggy said maybe we can add some more final thoughts here he said i never paid attention or paid at all to the battle pass so i don't fully understand what's going on but i've heard the kind of funny x casts have similar complaints also i tried vanguard's multiplayer this past weekend with their whole free multiplayer trial weekend and you were right it's fun I'm also getting a lot of kills, and I didn't expect I didn't expect the game to feel so modern considering the World War II setting. Mr. Miggy, I want to put a pin in your comment because I think this comment actually goes really well with what I want to talk about when, in a little bit when we get to the what I've been playing because you kind of touch on something maybe, maybe intentionally or not intentionally, but it kind of gets at the heart of what my dilemma is right now with, with the games I've been playing. So I'm excited to get into that a little more in a moment there, but... Let's jump on to some uh, some other comments. Let's wrap up with some uh, some other topics before we jump into the news this week, you guys. We got to talk about Nando's again because the other week I apologized for my ignorance in thinking that Nando's was a UK and Australia exclusive restaurant when in fact we do have a handful of locations here in the good old United States of America. And to that, Chicago Gamer 420 wrote in and said, "We have Nando's in walking distance of my apartment in Chicago. Did the Australian listeners really call this fast food? That is adorable. I would consider." Nando's a healthy, healthy casual chain. It's basically just baked, gr- baked and grilled chicken with spiced rice. Zero fried chicken on the menu. Not sure what it says about American fast food, but Nando's is essentially the opposite of fast food. I'd give it a six out of ten and never go back. All right, now Jay, one of our beloved Australian, our beloved Australian listeners, writes in and says, "Yeah, he, he, I think he said an Australian accent. He goes, yeah, you, you damn bloke. Uh, no, he says, yeah, I'm." 
one of the Aussie listeners that called Nando's fast food, which is what's con- which is what it's considered in Australia. It's right up there on my list of favorite fast food joints. And with you simply mentioning it, I'm tempted to go grab some for lunch today, despite there being no fried options on the menu, winky face. Now, Jay here, poking a little fun, having a little tongue-in-cheek moment with Chicago Gamer 420 in regards to the uh, the lambasting of Nando's, if you will. So I find this interesting. Maybe this is just a difference of personal taste. Maybe this is a difference of cultural taste or perspectives on fast food. But we got, you know, Jay the Australian defending defending Nando. We got Chicago Gamer 420, the American, over here saying, ah, it's a shitty, healthy restaurant. It doesn't even have fried chicken. It's not even a real fast food joint. Now, Chicago Gamer, I do want... I do just want to throw this out there. You know, as an American consumer of fast food, I am very certain that you are aware of Panera Bread. Now, one that you might not be as familiar with because they're kind of a little more spotty in terms of where they have locations. But here in Florida, we have them all over the place. Pollo Tropical, the the chicken place. Now, these are two examples of fast food restaurants that are a little more of that like, oh, we're kind of healthy, at least from a marketing perspective. And, you know, they, they try to, to steer away from the the uh, the stereotypical, oh, you know, fast food is cheeseburgers and french fries and milkshakes. They, you know, Panera Bread, it's all about the soups and the salads and the healthy sandwiches and the fresh bakery and all that kind of stuff. Um, they try to be very healthy with their, with their look and appeal. They try to be a little elegant. They try to be like a little bit like Apple, you know, like the apple of fast food restaurants for whatever fucking reason. But, you know, you know damn well if you're looking at the nutrition facts. It's just nothing but carbs and high-calorie content and oils and fats and probably high-fructose corn syrup and trans fats or whatever. Who knows? It's terrible for you. Panera Bread's not that great. But it's technically fast food. Just because it's not like McDonald's or Taco Bell doesn't mean it's not fast food. It's just not, you know, not fast food in the most traditional sense. Same thing in Pollo Tropical. It's uh, you know, it's grilled chicken. It's a lot of like Caribbean and uh, West Indies kind of like take on like you know like tropical and Caribbean kind of like various influences on chicken, rice, beans, stuff like that. Empanadas. I think they have. They have like fucking flans and, and shit like that on their menu. It's not fried chicken. You know, it's no KFC. It's no Popeyes. You're not getting French fries there. But technically, fast food. So I do have to ask again. As someone who hasn't been to Nando's, cannot speak to it. Just because it's not fried chicken, just because they have a quote unquote healthy, at least marketing slant, does that mean they're not fast food? It could mean they're not good food, but it doesn't mean they're not fast food. That's all I'm saying. So. You guys let me know on that one since you've actually had the place. Now, I will say, I I have to admit something. There is a hypocritical statement I made last week, and Sam A is here to hold me accountable for it. So thank you, Sam A. You say, complains about open world games being redundant, then says he's having a good time grinding gun camos in Call of Duty. Bro. Well, yeah, you're not wrong, man. That's the funny thing about it is you can be completely hypocritical because on the one hand, you can be completely exhausted by this uninspired, redundant trend in video games that just keeps happening over and over and over again that doesn't resonate with you, but for whatever reason, people keep eating it up like fucking Assassin's Creed, the most, in my opinion, the most like overdone, uninspired, generic, open world, fucking over, over cashed in on kind of soulless brand of a video game. You know, open world just to me just junk food but yeah then on the other hand it's like i'm i'm no different because i just want to play call of duty that comes out like every goddamn seven and a half months and yeah just run around shoot zombies listen to podcasts and grind camos it's uh 
It's entirely hypocritical. The important thing isn't that we aren't hypocrites, but rather that we can acknowledge when we're hypocrites and just, uh, I mean, that's, that's just part of being human, man. So Sam, I'm going to take a long sip of my water while you think about that. You know, every fast food restaurant I've ever been to offers water. Does that make water a fast food menu item? Like a, sorry, like a fast food food, you know, is, is water a fast food item? Think about that too. All right, new and other. We got two comments to round us out for the day. We got a new comment from Mr. Luke McLaren. He writes in and says, how's it going, lad? Just having a comment to let you know that you're fucking amazing and doing what, keep doing what you're doing on the podcast, bro. Been, thank you. I, I, that's very kind of you. I appreciate it. Been listening for the past couple of months now and tuning in and out every so often. I first discovered your podcast when I was working painting folks' houses and I decided I wanted to see if there was an Xbox dedicated podcast up on Spotify and yours was the first that popped up. Also, I hear that you're now finally playing Skyrim after all these years of pushing only the best Bethesda game to come out aside. Not to be a cum bubble or anything, but I fully completed Skyrim to the fullest. And honestly, it's just nice to see folks just starting out on the game and getting into it. Take your time with the game. There's not... Take your time with the game. There's so much to do within the 37 gigabyte piece of content you got there, mate. Have a good one. Also, one more thing I am all, I almost forgot to ask about. I am from Scotland, and the only other place I've ever been... I'm from Scotland, and the only other place I've ever been to was Florida. And I remember when I was... The, out there i was amazed at this one buffet that was there called the golden corral or something like or some shit like that just wanted to ask if you've ever been there since you're located in florida luke thank you for writing in i love this comment all around it's i'm I'm very excited to get into it but um i will say first of all just thank you for your kind words and i don't you, you are now man we talked about this on the stream on sunday this past week uh EA's King, I think, was saying this. Like, for whatever reason, when you search up Xbox Podcast and Spotify, my show pops up first. And I'm, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for that because that's going to do great for me in terms of getting my podcast out there and hopefully growing this audience. Also makes me a little, a little curious why the podcast hasn't grown as much considering it has so much exposure. Maybe I'm just putting out a bad product there, but, but no, I, I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like, why the fuck does it show Xbox on before, you know, shows like, the just aforementioned kind of funny X cast or podcast unlocked or major Nelson or, you know, defining Duke or any of these other really good Xbox podcasts that are significantly more popular than Xbox on. But Hey, I'm not complaining. I'm just curious why that is. Maybe it's a SEO thing. I put Xbox in the title and now it pulls up my podcast. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for giving it a try. And I hope you stick around. Uh, I will do my best to keep this show as entertaining as possible um, so that I am not wasting your time, but rather entertaining and informing you with all the good Xbox news. I'm shaking my water because this is now an ASMR podcast. Now, as for the Skyrim content, we'll get into that with the what I've been playing because I do have an update on that game. But I appreciate your encouragement and thank you for uh, forgiving me or maybe not forgiving me. You didn't necessarily say I was forgiven, but thank you for not condemning me uh, despite years of just shitting on other people for liking Skyrim and then finding out I love it myself. Now, the good part, the really juicy part of your comment that I I need to dig into, first of all, welcome from Scotland. I don't know how many other uh, Scottish listeners we have, so that's pretty awesome. But I do want to say the Golden Corral, Golden Corral, yeah, I know of Golden Corral. Uh, It is a, Golden Corral is a chain restaurant that you will find all over the U.S. Uh, You know, where I'm from in Georgia, we have them. They're all over Texas. You You can find them I don't know, I just assume Texas because Texas is known for, like, food. So, but yeah, you can, you can find Golden Corral pretty much anywhere. I haven't been to a Golden Corral man, since maybe... Actually, that's not true. Uh, when I was working in a uh, in a Japanese restaurant, 
in college, actually, before I moved to Florida, I remember there was a random day where our um, our head sushi chef was like, I'm craving Golden Corral. And it was kind of a joke because, like, you know, like I worked with some, like, snooty, hipstery, you know, pretty, pretty like, apt chefs who knew a lot about food, were really culinary, you know, really, like, inclined and, 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 uh, and skilled when it came to, like, fine Japanese dining and just food in general. So it was it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, why the hell is like our head sushi chef telling us he has a hankering for some golden corral. So we, um, we all met up before a dinner, a dinner service one time and went to golden corral as a staff. And I just remember that being like the weirdest hour of my life. Just being like, why the fuck are we all eating this shitty $10 buffet, golden corral nonsense, and then we're all just going to be full and feel like absolute horse shit and have to go to work and, 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 and go through a Saturday night dinner rush at our job. You know, like, what the fuck are we doing? But uh, nonetheless, that, that was the last time I went to Golden Corral. And you know what? As someone who loves shitty food and junky food, I always enjoy going to Golden Corral, but I never enjoy the food, I should say. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you were you were you uh, were you pleased with Golden Crow? Did you enjoy it, Luke? I must ask because I, I don't know. I like shitty food. I have I have a terrible palate. Uh, I enjoy really good food, but I also really enjoy shitty food. Uh, and I I just find Golden Crow usually to be um, a jack of all trades, master of none. Where as most buffets are, but particularly Golden Crow because you go there and you're like, oh, fried chicken, that's awesome, and then it's kind of you know, eh. You're like, oh my god, they got ribs, they got steak, they got everything, and you eat it, it's like, eh. You can make your own, they have a taco bar, you can make your own tacos, but then they're just kind of, eh. The pizza is actually really good there, kind of tastes like Chuck E. Cheese pizza, so that's a huge win. Uh, but then, you know, they got like the kitty bar, they got like jello and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and chicken nuggets and all the fun shit, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. But then they also got like the, oh, like this is like the New Orleans side, you can get like shrimp and grits and, and gumbo or whatever the fuck you want, and it's like, eh. You know, it's like, ah, you can go over to the Tex-Mex side and, and, and get fajitas or whatever the hell you're, you're feeling. And eh. it's just always meh. Whether you, it's a fair amount of like Texas food, like like New Orleans style or, or soul food or southern food or, or barbecue or steak. It's like all the different culinary beats of the American of the American landscape. Right. And none of them are done well at all. <laughs> so I, I usually find the best part of Golden Crow to be the pizza because it kind of tastes like Chuck E. Cheese pizza or the dessert bar because they're, they're, I will say, one thing I genuinely like, not because it reminds me of something else or because it's serviceable, but because I genuinely think it's actually good. Uh, Golden Corral makes kick-ass blueberry pie. That is the one thing I will say is objectively great. And they also have like a uh, all-you-can-eat soft-serve bar. So, you know, you take a little bit of that vanilla soft-serve, throw it on top of your, your blueberry pie, a little whipped cream on there maybe. I don't know. It's a good time. But otherwise, yeah, Golden Crow probably haven't been there in like four or five years. Uh, and then before that, I only ever went like two or three times in my life, probably like once with a friend. Uh, probably They were probably all like I was in high school and me and my friends went to Golden Crow kind of experiences, right? But I appreciate you writing in. You know this is a, it, this is just as much a fast food podcast as it is an Xbox one, so... Uh, I do appreciate you writing in with that very, very relevant and important little bit of information and questioning, and I'm glad we could discuss it in great detail. Luke, let me know. Did you enjoy Golden Crow when you went there? Oh, you said you were amazed by the buffet. Were you amazed by the variety, or were you amazed because you enjoyed it? I haven't been to any of the Golden Crows here. Maybe maybe I'll go to a Golden Crow over here in Florida and, and be like, whoa, 
This is better than the ones I'm used to having back home. I, don't, I doubt it. You know, it's like McDonald's. It's going to taste the same everywhere. But eh, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Now, last comment of the day. Headhunting Halo just wants to chime in with a little, a little quick one. It says, you're breaking my heart. We were supposed to have lunch together one day, but I guess I'll have to share. Share threesomes are fun, too. I guess I love you, Jesse. I'm guessing your kitty is white color. Headhunting Halo, I love you, but you got to read back your comments sometimes and think, what the fuck am I trying to say to Jesse? Because I don't know what you're asking. Now, I'm more than willing to have lunch with you someday. I don't give a shit if it's two of us or more. I don't. That's not relevant to me. We can absolutely have lunch together. My kitty is actually a, a black kitty, and she is the cutest little kitty in the world, and I love her to death. And she's recently begun uh, trying to change her sleep schedule around to accommodate me and my girlfriend. I've noticed she used to, you know, cats are nocturnal, so, you know, she's very active at night and sleeps a lot during the day as she's only one years old. So, but lately she's been trying to sleep with us in our bed and it's so freaking cute. She'll just, she'll get in bed. She likes to stay close to my girlfriend because she really loves her. She, she loves her a lot more than me. And, uh, but she'll, I've noticed she's become a lot more active during the day, um, hides and sleeps a little less and is more out there and lively with us while we're active. So my, my little kitty is the love of my life. And yeah, she's our, our little, our little black cat. So cute when she curls up because it's just a little ball of black fluff. You would think it's like a blanket or something if you didn't know any better, but nope, it's just our little baby. So, uh, head hunting halo. I look forward to getting lunch with you someday. Maybe it's golden corral. Maybe it's something else. You let me know. That's going to do it for all of our comments and shout outs this week, guys. Remember for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing before. I can tell you about what I've been playing. I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And for this, I don't have too much to say because we already talked about Thanksgiving in the plan. You know, the big thing is what I'm going to be eating for Thanksgiving. Like I said, we'll talk next week. Did, did it turn out well? Was it good? Was it bad? Did I get food poisoning? I'm very excited about this prime rib. It is a uh, steakhouse-style Thanksgiving dinner, but the, the catch is everything has to be from Sam's Club. So the mac and cheese, we got a pre-made one from Sam's Club. The, the you know the mashed potatoes we're making them from scratch but we bought potatoes at Sam's Club the 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 beef for the or the the meat for the prime rib bought it at Sam's Club so that's kind of the kitsch here is it's a steakhouse dining experience with a with a tuxedo layered chocolate cake got it from Sam's Club everything's from the club so that's kind of the fun thing we're doing here fuck turkeys fuck pilgrims I don't give a shit about any of that I'm a I'm a card carrying Sam's Club member and that's all that matters to me. God damn it. Um, so that, you know, that's it. I, I will say for what I've been eating, a couple things that aren't necessarily things I've been eating, but they're food related. I did get the Xbox Series X mini fridge. It came in the mail a little early from Target. As I said, when they first went live, I was one of the very few fortunate bastards that managed to actually get one of these things. I'm struggling with figuring out where to put it, but I, I love it. It's very cute. It's very cool. And yes, it is stocking my water and my zero sugar Pepsi as we speak. So... There's that. Um, and let's see what else. Oh, yeah. McDonald's has a new limited time McFlurry flavor. It is Chips Ahoy Cookie. I don't think this is a great idea as a permanent flavor, but as a limited time little gimmick, I'll allow it. I tried it, and it was uh, it was one of those days where I was doing the one meal a day thing. So, like, it was, like, 5 in the afternoon, and I hadn't eaten in over 24 hours, and I got one of these things, and I was like, this is the greatest ice cream known to the history of mankind. I will now worship the Chips Ahoy McFlurry. And then, you know, I, I ate a little more, ate a little more. I had a burger, whatever. And it, like I said, it was the first time I ate that day. And when I was done and I wasn't hungry anymore, I was like, you know what? That's actually like, it's good, but it's the weakest 
of all the McFlurry flavors I've ever had before. I was just very hungry. So Chips Ahoy McFlurry, long story short, if you're going to try it, maybe maybe starve yourself for a little bit. You might enjoy it even more. Um, otherwise, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Don't get the McRib. I had it last year. It wasn't good. But that's it for what I've been playing, what, what I've been eating. And now I got to tell you about the, in- the serious shit. What I've been playing now. This as well, we've already talked about a little bit with the Halo Infinite and everything. But I want to jump back into what Mister Miggy was saying because the games I've been playing this week, I'll just list them out real quick for you: Halo Infinite, Battlefield 2042, Call of Duty Vanguard, and Skyrim. Now, going back to what Mister Miggy was saying earlier, he said, you know, about what was going on with the battle with the battle pass, the progression system with Halo, and he says. I also tried Vanguard this past weekend with the whole multiplayer free trial weekend thing, and you were right. It's fun. I was getting lots of kills, and I didn't expect the game to feel so modern considering the World War II setting. Aside from that, I got 27 kills in Halo. Whatever. This is the problem I've been running into is Halo Infinite, in terms of just being fun and being polished and being fully realized in in a good game, is everything I could have hoped it would be. It is, in my opinion... You know, it was the inevitable bending the knee and pleasing the old school Halo fanboys by doing what they had to do to make people feel like Halo is back or we're not going to deviate too much from the classic Halo formula anymore. They did that perfectly while also retaining the signature 343, we're not afraid to evolve the series and bring it into a new direction and make it accessible to a new generation kind of thing that Halo 4 and 5 did. I think the game still largely feels like Halo 5, which is a great thing. But it definitely has a lot of Halo 3 and Halo Reach uh, flair to it, in my opinion. I absolutely love this game. I couldn't be happier that, you know, we finally have it. But like I was saying earlier, the weird thing is I'm not feeling this weird thing of like, I can't do the podcast. I got to play Halo. I can't show up to work today. I got to play Halo. I can't play any other video game. I got to play Halo. I really thought that's how I'd be feeling right now, but that's not how I'm feeling. In fact, this past weekend, I was pretty stressed out that Halo Infinite surprise launched because I wanted to have a solid month of playtime with Vanguard before Halo came out so I could play Vanguard till I was sick of it, be done with it forever, and then move into Halo Infinite going forward. I wanted Halo Infinite to come out on December 8th and not November 15th or whatever because... I, I wanted to finish Skyrim's main quest line that I was already deeply entrenched in. I, you know, I wanted to get that off the plate before Halo came out. So there was a couple things I was looking forward to doing, and then Halo 5, or Halo Infinite rather, just kind of just shadow dropped. And, you know, it's like, what a stupid, petty issue. It's like, dude, the game's there whether you're ready to play or not. Fuck off. Let other people be happy that it's here. Just go play the game you want to play. No big deal. But I know, I know there are a lot of you out there who could relate to what I'm saying, where... Yes, this is arbitrary. Yes, this is stupid. But there is a weird pressure with games where it's like, yeah, I'm working on this game and I can just ignore that game that just came out until I'm ready to play it. But I can't help but need to play it because it's out now. So that was kind of thing. It's like I couldn't just not play Halo Infinite because first I wanted to finish Skyrim or because I wanted to do a little bit. You know, I want to finish my prestige in Call of Duty before, you know. I can't just not play Halo and do those things first. You know, if Halo Infinite is out, I have to play Halo Infinite. And I know there are a lot of you out there who just, oh, I get that. I can relate to that. So I don't even need to fully explain it. I I just know instantaneously there are enough OCD gamers out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's kind of what I've been dealing with this past weekend. Or this past week, rather. But over the weekend, I tried to buckle down and really knock out some shit with my game. So I did finish grinding through uh that first prestige of vanguard and i did finish the main quest in skyrim i'll put that on the shelf for now and come back to it at a later date when there's a drought and i need something to play again 
But but here's the thing is, before Halo Infinite Shadow drops, I was having such a good time with Vanguard, surprisingly. I expected this game to suck. I expected this to be a Call of Duty I actually skipped altogether. But I surprisingly think Vanguard has really fun multiplayer, and the zombies are not great at all, but I'm having a good time playing them anyway. And Skyrim I got so incredibly sucked into that I really wanted to savor and enjoy every minute of that of that main quest I was working through and just kind of take my time with it and enjoy it. And then when Halo came out, it's just like all this pressure swelled up. And then on top of that, Battlefield 2042 literally just came out. And no, I'm not buying Battlefield 2042 because I'm smart enough to know that game is going to be 30 goddamn dollars come New Year's. I'm not wasting 70 fucking dollars. Listen, EA and Activision, please do yourselves a favor. Take the longest finger, middle finger, I think is the longest one. Take that thing and shove it so far up your goddamn asshole until you bleed to death. Because this whole like uh, Xbox isn't doing the $70 thing that PlayStation's trying to do. But fuck it, we can get away with it anyway. And then like your stupid fucking new Halo or Call of Duty or Battlefield game is seventy dollars on Xbox, but sixty on PC. This is bullshit. Stop it now. Battlefield twenty forty two. I don't give a shit how much it costs to make the game. I don't give a shit how many people worked on it. I don't give a shit. Battlefield twenty forty two is not worth seventy dollars. I don't care if it's the greatest first person shooter of all time. It's not worth seventy dollars. It doesn't have a campaign. It's just more Battlefield multiplayer, and it's coming out in a time where Warzone's free. Halo's multiplayer is free. Fortnite's the biggest thing in the world. All these multiplayer behemoth games are free to play, and you're asking seven, not not even full price, more than full price for this new Battlefield game. Suck a fucking dick. I know it's hypocritical because I bought Vanguard for seventy dollars. I know, I know, I know. At least that game has a fucking campaign and zombies and shit to go with it. God damn it. But nonetheless, because of Game Pass, because of uh, EA Play, I did have that ten hour free trial. I played through five of my 10 free hours this weekend. I really did not expect to get sucked into it, but I, I got to be honest with you, man. Battlefield 2042 is a very broken game, a very flawed game with a ton of work that needs to be done to it, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, I did not play the Battlefield 2042 content so much as I played the portal mode, which everyone's praising a lot. So I know people are having some serious issues with the uh, all out warfare or whatever the fuck the main mode is called. I don't care. I'm talking about the portal mode where you can just fucking play Battlefield 1942 versus Bad Company 2 versus Battlefield 3, all that shit. That is so much fun. Now, to be fair, you know, these are the three big shooters, you know, in my opinion, with, you know, save for Titanfall, which is seemingly just lost to the lost to time at this point. But it's Halo, you know, especially like the 360 days when I was at my peak with with FPSs. It's Halo, it's Battlefield, it's Call of Duty. These are the three monolith fucking games of of first person shooters of multiplayer triple a first person shooters battlefield call of duty halo and it's always been for me halo is god tier call of duty is whatever but super fucking addicting and fun so just enjoy it anyway because it is good and then battlefield is like oh my god i wish i loved you i want to love you i want to love you you are such a frustrating shitty fucking broken game but i wish i loved you i still feel that way to this day about battlefield it is battle like, Halo is a first-person shooter that's actually more console-centric than PC-centric. Call of Duty is a first-person shooter that works equally great on console and on PC. Battlefield is a first-person shooter that is definitely meant for PC, but keeps making itself available on console anyway, even though it doesn't work on console. The aim assist sucks on, on Battlefield. The fucking hitbox detection, all this uh, people talking about Bloom or whatever the fuck that is, 
all the things about Battlefield 2042 with an Xbox controller in your hands feel like dog shit. It's just such a bad game for controls, for controllers. But I, I don't want to play on PC. I want to play on Xbox. That's where I play my games. So I will say, it's like every Battlefield in that it takes me 20 hours to spawn. I run around a big empty map looking for something to do. What do I do? What do I do? I don't have friends to play with, so I'm just kind of running around on my own. I know I have a squad, but they don't play together anyway, so what the fuck am I supposed to do? Boom, dead. Sniper got you. Okay, fuck. Ah, what is this? Why am I calling to be revived? I don't want to do, I don't want to call to be revived. Just let me spawn. Just let me spawn instantaneously like fucking COD. No, okay. Wait 30 seconds. Uh, let me spawn with my squad. Wait, oh, wait, they're in battle. I can't spawn with them. Fuck. Okay. Uh, well, I can spawn 47 miles away from all the action. Okay, let me spawn there, and I'll just jog all my way over there. Okay, seven minutes of jogging later. Okay, I think the battle's over here. Let me get in there. Oh, snipe to death. So, it's like every battlefield in the world in that it is so anti-single player. It is so anti-controller uh, input, and it is very uh, sweaty and hardcore and, and battlefield fan-centric. It's very unwelcoming to casuals. But I gotta be honest, there are some Battlefields I like. I like Bad Company 1 and 2. I like 1942. I like 1943. I kind of like Battlefield 3. I like Battlefield 1. There are a bunch of Battlefield games where it's like, I don't, some of them I love, some of them I just like, but I've I've had fun with Battlefield over the years. And Portal is the epitome of, of all the fun I've ever had with Battlefield rolled into one mode. It is really, really fucking cool. Honest to God, it is the reason to play this game. You know, you can say what you will about the main modes being broken or whatever, you know, all the problems the game's having. The portal mode is actually the main attraction. It is quite good. It's really fun. It's really arcadey. There's a very Halo custom games kind of thing about it where you know people are just making their own random custom servers and you can just go find whatever you want oh here's zombies mode with world war ii weapons set in the year 2042 it's so ridiculous and over the top and and just fun in nature that i gotta be honest this is probably one of my favorite battlefield experiences i've ever had and i wasn't expecting to have a good time with this and get sucked into it in the middle of halo infinite just came out i barely played any vanguard trying to finish up skyrim but here I am. I'm I'm cut in between all three of these games. I, I find that right now we're in this weird time where, especially in the hardcore space, everyone's trying to convince you of something with these three games. You know, Halo Infinite's the good one. Call of Duty's the horse shit, piece of crap. No one wants this fuck Call of Duty game. And Battlefield is the, oh man, they should have delayed it. It's a good game, but God damn it, they released it broken. It's so dumb. Fuck, Battlefield's broken. Ah, oops. And that's kind of like the the narrative, right? Everyone's trying to get you to like fall. It seems like, right? Admit Halo's good. Admit COD sucks. Admit Battlefield is is fumbling out the gate like it always does. I don't know, man. I will agree. Yes, Halo Infinite is the most polished of the three. Call of Duty is the most redundant of the three. Battlefield should not have released for another six months. It definitely needed some more work. That being said, all three of these games are a lot of fun. And I'm really into all of them. Halo Infinite is definitely the one I will stick with the longest, no doubt. Halo Infinite is definitely the one that I'm most excited about and I think is of the higher quality and I think is the most important of the three, no doubt. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I expected Vanguard to suck. And it's actually really, really fun. It's a really good multiplayer. I expected to not care about Battlefield 2042 and I kind of don't. It's the one I'll probably spend the least amount of time with, but it, it, it still managed to carve out a seat at the table despite... Halo taking up so much of the oxygen because Portal is really fucking good. It's a really fun mode. It's a really great idea and it's really well executed. And I, I, I just got to say, like in this 
this busy FPS fall season of Halo versus Battlefield versus COD. Pick one. One has to be awesome. The other two have to suck. What's your opinion? I gotta be honest. I think all three of these games are really good. Deeply flawed in their own ways. Halo's got a broken progression system. Battlefield is not ready to be released to the public yet. Call of Duty is just... You know, the zombies was half-baked, and, and it's just more of the same shit. You know, whatever. But all three games are really fun. And I don't know. I guess I have my gripes with all of them. I have my apprehensions with all of them. But uh, I, I gotta say, this is a fall season worth celebrating more than trying to find your tribe, you know, to, to, to get cozy with. Because there's a lot of good shit out there right now. And the problem isn't which one's good and which one's bad. It's... How the hell are you ever going to find enough time to enjoy any of these games? Because there's just so much shit to do. That being said, uh, I'll, I'll I'll just end with this. Yes, I finished the main quest on Skyrim. It definitely took a, a huge weight off my shoulder just having that done. Because now I can feel like I can ease it. You know, I can lean into Halo and stuff like that a little more without feeling guilty about abandoning Skyrim. I don't know what to say. Sky, Skyrim is a game that definitely shows its age. It is very anticlimactic when it's trying to be epic. And none of that is to the game's detriment at all. I find when the game is trying to be very cinematic and very epic, but instead it's just being like goofy and campy and glitchy and old and whatever, I find it to be so endearing. I think Skyrim is such a good game. I absolutely love it. I don't know how I got invested in this world and these characters, or not characters, but uh, rather this story, this lore. Um... I don't know how I'm enjoying exploring this game. I love this gameplay loop of just like exploring towns, talking to people, questing, and then ending up in these dungeons and exploring and doing light puzzle solving and fighting skeletons and shit like that. I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm absolutely loving the Skyrim gameplay loop. And when things settle down, when Halo Infinite's a few months old and I've beaten the fuck out of the campaign, I've played the hell out of the multiplayer and I'm sick of Vanguard and I'm never going to play it again and I, I did my 15 hours of Battlefield 2042 and I'll never play it again. When all that's said and done, you know, uh, whatever, like Dying Light 2, I'm excited about that game when it comes out. When that's come and gone, I've played that and, and, and there's another lull, you know, it's like one of those June lulls of like, I, I need something to play, nothing's happening right now. I can't wait to come back to Skyrim. It's it's definitely gonna be high on my list of like that's a game I need to come back to. Let me pick a new quest line and I'll uh, I'll jump back into that world again because it is a very good game with tons and tons to do. And the nice thing is I'm getting into it so late that there's just uh you know so many endless endless places for me to go with that game from here. I'm really looking forward to it. So guys, that's it for what I've been playing. That's it for all of our opening segments. As we are an hour and ten minutes in, let me transition now away from the away from the video games away from the fast food and into the news you ready for it buckle the hell up welcome to part two of the podcast where we talk about news all right guys remember when i said we get back to the activision bullshit with the harassment all the god damn it just okay activision just stop uh, give your women money and stop touching them and threatening to kill them is it that fucking hard all right well guess what it doesn't end so bobby kotick um the guy we talked last week the ceo of activision the guy who was all like i'm gonna kill you to that assistant of his in 2006 who also fired this girl who said she was gonna sue the pilot of a plane he co-owned and who also uh helped that guy from uh, treyarch who harassed a woman uh, not get fired even though hr was like yeah you should fire that guy after investigating him who also uh, 
helped sweep under the rug the, the, the executive from fucking the guy from fucking um, Sledgehammer Games that is, you know, allegedly who raped a co-worker. Yeah, that CEO. Uh, fucking good guy. I'll take a pay cut and make this company more uh, diverse and accepting in um, whatever than, in, in, than any company you've ever seen. That guy. All right, we're back. We're talking about him again, guys, because this fucking asshole is so self-important. He can't stay out of the spotlight for a minute. He's like a goddamn Kardashian at this point. VGC reports that Xbox boss Phil Spencer threw you a curveball there. Bet you weren't expecting that. Well, shut up. It gets interesting. Phil Spencer has confirmed that he is evaluating the relationship Xbox has with Activision Blizzard following the company's response to allegations about its CEO, Bobby Kotick. In an email sent to Xbox staff, as seen by Bloomberg, Spencer stated that he and the leadership team were disturbed deeply and troubled by the horrific events and actions at Activision Blizzard. Spencer stated that in his email that the type of behavior has no place in our industry and that he was, quote, evaluating all aspects of Xbox's relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing uh, proactive adjustments. Now, on Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal reportedly uh, alleged that Kotick was aware of multiple sexual misconduct at Activision Blizzard, as we just kind of recapped. Uh, now, originally, a lot of the issues were known to be associated with uh, with Blizzard, the World of Warcraft fucking guys that do all the knights and orcs and elves games. Uh, those were the guys that couldn't stop harassing women. But then it turns out it's also guys that make all the shooty-shooty uh, gun games uh, over at Call of Duty teams, Treyarch and Sledgehammer. Those guys are also doing it because I guess people are just fucking awful and can't keep their hands to themselves. Well, <sighs> to pair with Phil Spencer's comments here, which are, of course, incredibly applicable to our Xbox-related conversation. Uh, I do have to say, after last week, the news that, you know, Bobby Kotick knew, Bobby Kotick said this, Bobby Kotick did that, people started to call for his resignation. There was that team of people from within Activision uh, who were already generally not fans of Bobby Kotick who called for him to either resign by the end of the year or they would not have him and his and his pals reelected come uh, next summer. So... So, update on all that. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick has, a portly, has reportedly told senior managers that he would be willing to resign from the company if he can't quickly fix the cultural problems at the company. Uh, I always say the best way to solve racism is to is to make a make a make a racist the leader of your anti-racist movement. That that now is of course why I think we should make Bobby Kotick. Uh, a sexual harassment, a sexual harasser, a verbal harasser, and a sexual harassment uh, fall guy or or, or cover up guy, uh, the the head of a company who's trying to turn around their cultural pro, 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 pro problems. Can you tell I'm just tired of talking about this bullshit? Anyway, according to sources that spoke with Wall Street Journal, who claimed that the CEO made comments during a meeting with executives last Friday, he stopped short of saying that he would step down. The boss is also facing criticism following the publication of everything we just talked about, blah, blah, blah. We'll skip through that. But as of Monday, this past Monday, a few days ago, nearly 1,800 employees, roughly 18% of the company's uh, staff, had signed an online petition calling for Kotick to step down from his position. That includes lead developers from King, which is their mobile t uh, team, Blizzard, Activision, studios like Sledgehammer, and Infinity Ward. So the question remains... What's going on here with Activision, right? What is next? Because 
I think a lot of those stories came out last week. Bobby Kotek, time for you to resign, whatever. And a lot of people took it as, ooh, this is bad. This guy's days are numbered. He'll be gone by the end of the week, right? I think a lot of us thought that. Well, it's almost the end of the next week, and uh, he's still here. So I don't think that's how that works, apparently. Um, so, yeah, Asswipe is still here. And now, the, now it's become a, a, a thing of, well, what's it going to take to get this guy out? Because you got... A, a notable amount of employees signing petitions, trying to get him out, vocalizing their uh, their their um, dissatisfaction with him sticking around, following all the stuff leaking out. And on top of that, now you have now you have important uh, partners also starting to come out and make PR statements as well. Because last year, last year, last week, uh, Andrew Ryan, PlayStation's Andrew Ryan, made a statement about him. Uh, you know, not being super happy with this stuff as well, and him being like, hey, this is, you know, PlayStation is a place where blah, 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 zero tolerance for harassment, which, you know, we won't get into this because it's an Xbox podcast, but shortly after that, then the story broke out about sexual harassment and, and general harassment claims over at PlayStation, so that's a whole other can of worms now, um, but... Phil Spencer then followed suit a day or two later and, and sent out this email to the team at Xbox about strategically analyzing and thinking about and considering their relationship with Blizzard and Activision. So here's the thing. Knee-jerk reaction. Phil Spencer is an executive at Xbox. He has an obligation to say something since Activision is one of their absolute biggest uh, partners that they work with, one of the biggest suppliers of games that sell millions and millions and millions and millions of units on Xbox consoles. So obviously, it sounds kind of weird, you know, if someone like Phil Spencer doesn't say something to his team about this very obvious, very massive, very disconcerting uh, story that just keeps evolving and getting worse, seemingly, right? So it's very easy to see the these, these statement from, from Phil Spencer, which, by the way, was internally said. This isn't something he said to the public. And just see it as maybe this is lip service, right? Maybe this is the boss saying the right thing, but also saying nothing as executives are supposed to say. Because, right, he says, we're going to be reevaluating. We're really disturbed by these actions and these events. And we're going to have to evaluate our, the aspects of our relationship with this company. That is PR speak for we condemn bad behavior. We don't like bad people. And we're going to think about our relationship with bad people and how us having a relationship with bad people could potentially perpetuate bad things. And the idea behind that, the PR idea behind that, is it plants the seed in the employees' minds and in the public's minds that, oh, we're on the good team. We are here to fight evil and to not support evil because the email says we condemn uh, these actions and that we don't support them and that we might even have to think about our relationship with them. Uh, you know, it's it's not Phil Spencer's uh, place to just go out and immediately be like, uh, attention all employees, I'm pulling Call of Duty from the Xbox store and effective immediately Activision games aren't allowed on our service going forward. No, of course he can't just do that, right? But at the same time, it's like, is this lip service or is this... Is this, you know, someone in a huge position of power who has some kind of important relationship to this uh, company that's, you know, in the spotlight for doing all the shit? Is this them using their platform and using their voice to try and bring about some positive change? Again, it's it's the same thing I was saying last year about the whole, like, all these brands coming out and being like, hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's like, well, guess what? I, I can absolutely promise you that fucking Frito-Lay 
doesn't give a shit about Black Lives Matter. They just want you to keep buying their potato chips. So don't get too, you know, heartwarmed by their tweet, you know? It's kind of a similar thing where I'm like, you know, one one side of me is like, Phil Spencer is usually a pretty candid dude. That's one thing people really like about him is he's really candid. He has conversations in this industry that a lot of companies aren't willing to have. Talks about the preserva- preservation of games and trying to democratize games despite, you know, representing one of the biggest corporations in all the world. And he's a really likable guy. He's a very personable kind of figure. And he's generally someone you want to trust as genuine and legitimate and honest and sincere. And so you see something like this and you're like, good, good on you, Phil Spencer. Thank you for saying what needs to be said. But there's there's no telling how sincere this is, how much of this is like they're obligated to say something or they're actually genuinely thinking about doing something. But he, here's the thing. Xbox spoke after PlayStation spoke. So that lends more credence to the whole like, yeah, well, they they had to say something. And then Nintendo said something after Xbox said something too, whatever. The thing is, there is some power in this, right? PlayStation said something, Xbox said something, Nintendo said something. If these guys, you know, got together, and this this is something they should do, you know, Andrew Ryan, uh, Doug Bowser, Phil Spencer, these guys should get together and have the talk. What is something we can do, we can do, we can agree on to kind of slap Activision on the wrist and make a statement with their brands that doesn't create a weird competition case between our brands, but also sends a message to Activision that we we are demanding change. You know, you're making our industry look bad. You're making our platforms look bad, but in way of being our partner, and you know this is a great opportunity for us to do something good, build some good PR, and try to spin a bad story into something better. Right. So, what if Activision, Nintendo, and Sony Put the pressure on Activision. Put the pressure on Bobby Kotick. You know, I don't think they would say they would take a stance and say Bobby Kotick needs to resign. I don't think that would be what the thing they would do. But they could say something like, um, you know, in in solidarity with our with our with our hardworking friends over at Activision Blizzard, um, you know, Nintendo, Xbox, and Sony have agreed have to do hashtag a week without a Call of Duty, right? Or something like that. And all Activision games will just disappear from storefronts for a week. Or or Call of Duty will just be unplayable on Xbox and PlayStation for a week or something like that. You know, something to kind of draw some attention, to put the pressure on Activision, to make a statement and say, uh, we, we are good, they are bad. You know, put a line in the sand and paint the good guys versus the bad guys. Whatever it is that needs to be done. And I feel like, you know, now that Spencer and, and Andrew Ryan and Doug Bowser have all spoken out about this, it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Because we see Bobby Kotick here, and despite how blatantly obvious it is that this guy needs to just fucking resign already, that people don't want him there, that this is, he's bigger root of the problem more than anything, that there's literally no way, no matter what this fucking rich asshole says, there's no way in hell this guy's genuinely going to be the change, the guy who brings about you know, the guy who drives this movement of uh, changing the, the company's cultural problems. There's no way this is going to be that guy. You know, this, this is a guy who's holding on to his power, doesn't want to let go of his position, and is is willing to do and say anything and, and fight and kick every second along the way to make sure that he's not pulled away from this company. And it's not that easy, too, because Bobby Kotick personally owns like a quarter of Activision. So even if you voted him out and kicked him out from his position as CEO, he would still be like the biggest shareholder and and contributor. And he would still be on the board and he would still be heavily influential and running this company in a large, in large part, despite not being CEO. So that's the other side to this is there's only so much that can be done by removing a guy like Bobby Kotick. 
Um, so that's another thing, you know, Xbox Phil Spencer could be thinking too is, you know, if we try to get involved in this whole put pressure on Activision to get rid of Bobby Kotick, at the end of the day, all that's going to happen is this guy's still going to have a massive amount of influence and power within the company, even if he isn't CEO. And we just made ourselves look bad by building, by burning bridges with this, with this massive publisher. So I get it. There's a lot going on here. Of course, as someone who doesn't have a financial investment in any of these companies or give a shit about the financial wellness of Microsoft or Activision, my point of view, my, my, my part in all this just goes out to the victims uh, of these sexual harassment claims, the uh, the employees of Activision Blizzard who are not harassers, who are just genuine developers and, and artists and people who just want to make and put out great video games for people to enjoy and play. My heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to let's, let's do the thing that is going to protect these people. It's going to save these people. It's going to make their jobs safe and better and improve the work culture there. I don't, you know, I don't care. Do whatever's best for them, right? But let's, I'll also think honestly about how this shit actually plays out. Xbox has to protect their interests. Removing Bobby Kodak is, I don't know. It's like, it's like a, it's like an American politics where they're like, Oh, we hate the Democrat. Let's vote out, vote him out with a Republican or vice versa. We hate the Republican. Let's vote him out with a Democrat. It's like, whatever. You're still getting some cucky establishment loser. Who's going to work against the American people at every turn. Like it doesn't fucking matter who you put in, in the office. It's all just optics. It's all just theatrics. It's kind of like what this is like. It's like, we can get rid of Bobby Kotick, but that's not really going to fix every, anything. He single-handedly owns more of this company than any other entity or group out there. So, you know, you get rid of Bobby Kotick as, as, as CEO. Great. He's still the most influential member on the board. He still has more financial stake in this company than anyone else. All you can do is make him richer by forcing him out. You know, unless they have a way to force Bobby Kotick to resign as a CEO and to forcibly sell all his shares of the company back, uh, then there's really nothing you can do to, to strip this man of his power. And so that's another problem they face. So I don't know. It, to me, it would be awesome. You know, I just, it's like one of those like idyllic moments. Like, well, how cool would it be to see. Nintendo and PlayStation and Xbox all band together and be like, let's do the right thing and speak out against Activision and do something with our platform and our power to force change, to put the pressure on Activision. I don't know. To me, I, the the negative side wins, and I'm like, ah, it's probably just more lip service and saying something I have obligation more than anything. But I don't know. Let's let's remain hopeful. We'll see where this how this evolves, what comes next, because mark my words, there will be more developments of this story, trust me. Every fucking week we're learning seven new things. And uh, yeah, apparently now PlayStation's starting to have their own little version of this issue as well. So we can only hope and pray that this is at, you know, we're at the end of it and that we're not going to learn how toxic and, and, um, and fucked uh, Xbox is as well. So hopefully that's not the case. All right. Next up, our boys at VGC got an update on the Sega relationship with Microsoft that we talked about a few weeks ago with their new alliance, their new... Um, their new partnership together guys xbox is not buying sega let's make that clear okay sega clarified in a recent announcement that the strategic alliance with microsoft will not see release of game the release of exclusive games for xbox earlier in the month the japanese publisher said it had agreed on a deal that will see it develop large-scale global games for next-gen development environment building on microsoft's azure cloud platform now we talked about this um thoroughly when this story when uh came out uh, but the story the, you know this article continues that 
Further details this past week have emerged uh, via new, newly published comments from Sega's recent fiscal meeting in which it moved to clarify that it wouldn't be releasing games exclusively for Microsoft as part of this information, as part of this deal, saying that, quote, we already have a close business relationship with Microsoft. We outsource the development of their large-scale titles. As a third party, we are supplying a various... We are supplying a variety of t- uh, titles, the company said, referring to the studio's work on games like Halo Wars 2 and Age of Empires 4. When we announced the concept of Super Game, Microsoft was sympathetic to the vision and leads to and, and that led to the announcement of this at this time. But about this, we are not talking about releasing games exclusively for Microsoft, but rather to develop Super Games that will be able to deliver uh, to the world together with their technical support over at Microsoft. Japanese publisher also commented to the new Super Game Initiative, saying that this year, a mid to long term strategy aimed at creating a major globalized project focusing on the pillars of global online community and IP utilization. We talked about that all when it happened. We're talking about how expensive and how much they estimated it would take to build uh, their Super Gaming ambitions for future game development, etc. Now, now, a lot of people wanted to misinterpret this whole story as, oh, well, maybe Xbox will acquire Sega. Well, just quite, quite the opposite sega sega's parent company sega sammy um noted in their annual report that they're actually still interested themselves in acquiring future studios as they have been doing in recent you know the recent 10 years with uh, creative assembly and atlas and, and teams like that yeah so sega is still very much looking to be independent all on their own this isn't like massive earth shattering news but rather just a confirmation that yes fanboys this is not going to be uh, the start of Xbox buying Sega or Sega making exclusive games for Xbox, but rather this more so leveraging this pre-existing relationship between Xbox and Sega to help Sega work their way up and build to a, a, a point where um, they are they are able to make these big, ambitious next-gen games. Now, with all that preface out of the way, I must still reiterate, and that's only because I I kind of this is my this is my one this is my hypocritic one where I want an Xbox to buy them, whatever. There's still the option opportunity, right? Because you think about what Phil Spencer says all the time about when it comes to acquiring studios, they're looking for teams that are aligned with their vision teams that help fill the portfolio. And the, the teams have visions that uh, a vision rather that is kind of in line with where Xbox wants to head. Again, you look at Sega, you know, they own teams like they own teams like creative assembly, that have made games for Xbox. They own teams like Relic that have made games for Xbox. Um, they have a good relationship where games like Fantasy Star Online 2 are exclusive in the West here, etc. right? And Phil's always talking about, you know, if, if the team, we want to work with teams and acquire teams that where their work efforts kind of align with ours and it makes sense. Well, you already got Sega, who's using some of their teams to make games for you guys at a third-party capacity, or um and then or I guess it'd be like second part exclusive titles, right? And then on top of that, you've got Sega as a company looking to invest in their infrastructure so that they can rely on the cl- on cloud services and use Microsoft's uh, various programs and, and game stack tools to help build up the necessary infrastructure so that they can work on their new ambitious titles. And I can't help but see all this stuff as like, hmm, this kind of aligns with what Xbox is talking about, about prime candidates for acquisition. And it seems like Sega kind of fits the bill, right? Because they have a pre-existing relationship where it makes sense. Phil Spencer's talked about that. Check. They're working deeper and deeper with Microsoft's tools and services and software to try and beef up and make ambitious projects and, and use cloud infrastructure to change development, to make large-scale games and things like that. 
boom, that checks the box of new and innovative and things that work well for Game Pass and all that. And then on top of all that, Sega offers the diversity in the portfolio where Microsoft lacks. Microsoft has Western open world RPG games in spades. They have first person shooters in spades. They have multiplayer games in spades, but they don't have RPG games sim games anime games like persona they don't have platformer action games like sonic the hedgehog they don't have uh they don't have mmorpgs like fantasy star online 2 so again i feel like the relationships microsoft has with sega what sega has to offer for microsoft the the boxes are checked the all the things are there and so then it becomes a Bethesda thing again, where it's like, okay, well, maybe Sega's being serious. They're not looking to be acquired. They're looking to continue to double down on themselves and invest further, but everyone has a price. Bethesda probably wasn't looking to sell, even remotely, until Xbox came out to them and gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. Well, if the same happened to Sega, I think Sega Sammy would suddenly be interested in selling. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. Now, there is the Japanese cultural uh, kind of hurdle here that might you know might cause some kind of um deterrent here because in japan it is rather uncommon for companies to merge and buy out one another and kind of monopolize the way we're so used to seeing here in the u.s or at least here in the western world where you know game acquisitions and things like that are very much commonplace Uh, in fact we even saw this with xbox trying to buy out (laughs) Nintendo or Microsoft trying to buy Nintendo all you know back in the day before the Xbox brand and in getting lots out of the room. This is kind of a you know Sega is a very Japanese company and it is quite possible that they don't see themselves you know getting acquired by some big out outside Western company that's just not really something they're interested in. You never know. Maybe they understand respect that because for a Japanese company, Sega Sammy sure does acquire a lot of teams. Again, who knows? They're you know they're. They even acquire a lot of Western teams, so it's it's quite possible that you know maybe maybe Sega is just the perfect Japanese team for Xbox to get, especially considering how badly Xbox wants to get in on that Japanese market. You know, in the way I don't know, I can't help but think about this one. I, I'm a huge Sonic fan. I love Yakuza, yes, but let's focus on the big one here, which is Atlas Persona, right? If Xbox wants another big upset, like oh, we got Bethesda, we got Starfield, we got Skyrim, we got Fallout. If they want another one of those, we're like, we're taking it from PlayStation, if you want to look at it that way. Um, a great way to get that would be to buy Sega and get Atlas. Yeah, Persona games, they're all coming to Xbox. And going forward, the next Persona game, Xbox game. That is a huge middle finger, a huge win over Sony. So I know a lot of Xbox fanboys are out there really wanting more moves like that. If you want to see a big upset like that, that that's one to go for. Because Persona is one of the big Japanese role-playing games. It's no Final Fantasy, but it's up there with um, with the other big titles in, in the Japanese role-playing game genre. So that would be a massive get for Microsoft. And I just I, I just can't help but feel like, yes, I, I do believe currently Sega is not looking to be acquired. Xbox probably isn't trying to actively buy them. But I can't help but think that Sega is still a really prime candidate for them. But nonetheless... Um, I, I do believe that right now they're not looking to be acquired, and I don't think Xbox is actively thinking about it, uh, although I'm not sure they've written it off. Now, speaking about Xbox's relationship with Japanese developers and publishers, our next story here, as related by VGC, Platinum Games' Hideki Kamiya, 
uh, has apologized to players in Microsoft for the events that led to the cancellation of Scalebound back in 2017. This RPG was originally planned for Xbox as an exclusive, but was canceled later that year in 2017. In a new video on the Cutscene YouTube channel, Kamiya explains how Scalebound came to be and why it eventually was scrapped, saying, quote, Scalebound was a project that we had uh, teamed up with Microsoft uh, they expressed good thing. They expected good things from us, and we needed to live up to those expectations. Teaming up with Microsoft meant releasing the game on the latest Xbox console, the Xbox One. And once again, I had a desire to make a high-end game. I wanted to go back to something uh, photorealistic. While it was a personal wish of mine, I thought it was also necessary for Platinum Games to improve their graphical ability and to get the next step of modern game creation. So first, they decided to go with a universe like the one built in Scalebound. He continues on by saying, I love the fantasy worlds ever since I was a child and I've enjoyed the worlds with swords, magic dragons. I didn't know if people overseas were familiar with these things as a child, but I would play Sorcerian, Sorcerian and all these fantasy games on the classic PC era. Uh, all, I always wanted to make something like that. And this is how I thought of a world revolving around a young man fighting together with a dragon. However, it was a big challenge for Platinum Games once they finally got into it. We were working on... In, in an environment we weren't used to. We were developing an Unreal Engine. We were also lacked the necessary know-how to build a game based on online features. The hurdles we had to overcome were very big, and we weren't experienced enough to get over that wall, leading to what happened in the end. I'm sorry to the players who looked forward to it, and moreover, I'm sorry to Microsoft who had placed their trust in us as a business partner. I want to apologize both as a creator and as a member of Platinum Games. So this is interesting because Scalebound is one of those games we knew it wasn't coming together and its cancellation was abrupt and sudden. And a lot of people still this day are pretty salty about that cancellation. I, myself included, honestly. I feel like Scalebound, you know, I kind of wish we could have just somehow uh, seen them kind of just double down on it and give a blank check to Platinum and let them just kind of take the time to figure it out. Although that wouldn't have been smart at the end of the day. I just, I can't help but feel like a world with Scalebound on Xbox would have been a really good get, you know, especially if that was a game that was, you know, think about it, it's supposed to come out in 2017. What if it had been delayed to 2019 or 2020? That could have been a great swan song for the Xbox One or better yet, you know, delay it to the Series X. That could have been a great launch game for Series X. I just can't help but think what could have been with this one. And it is cool to kind of get more of a, a taking of ownership and more of a behind the scenes on what, what exactly happened. Although it's not too surprising as we knew a lot of it was kind of technical and over their head kind of issues behind the scenes. But getting more of it like straight from the horse's mouth like that it, it is quite cool. It's quite interesting to see that. And um, I don't know, man. I just feel like of all the Xbox games that got canceled in the Xbox One generation, Fable Legends, man, what was the card game? Why the hell am I blanking on that? Um, Phantom Dust, etc. I can't help but feel like Scalebound was actually kind of a, a misstep, right? Like that that one should have happened, uh, especially like right now, man. That would have been that would have hit so sweet if that could have been like a, a a big launch title for the Series X, right? You know, you get. It would have definitely helped with this past year with there not being Halo and anything like that. It would have been a great get for Game Pass. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do. I really still hope to this day that Xbox maybe comes back. You know, they have the most powerful console in the world now. They're able to use the cloud to develop more and more. And, you know, they could have this be a Game Pass, uh, cloud storage, PC, Series X type game. I would really love to see Xbox and Platinum get back together 
and take another crack at this. And maybe when Xbox is in a position in another year or two where it's got such a regular steady cadence of really high quality Game Pass games releasing left and right and, you know, the Xbox brand's kind of back on its high horse and all that, which you can tell we're headed in that direction. I don't know. Maybe it'd be really cool if uh, Xbox got back with Platinum and was like, hey, you want to you wanna try Scalebound again? That'd be obviously super risky. But, man, I just feel like it sounds like it was an ambitious project where they needed more time. Uh, they needed more time to learn, more time to develop, more time to contextualize and flesh things out. And, man, now with Game Pass and with uh, Series X and just more powerful hardware and everything, like now, now is the time. You know, if, if Scalebound were a game that were announced and teased in like 2019, 2020 instead of 2015, 2016, I feel like we'd be in a totally different situation with uh, where that game is at. But alas, it is no more, although I, I do find it really cool that we got kind of that more definitive uh, statement. Now, one thing we haven't really been talking about that's been kind of a huge story, but I just, I don't know, it just hasn't been coming up really, is this uh, ongoing Grand Theft Auto trilogy remaster bullshit where the game basically just launched completely fucked. It was basically a port of the mobile versions of these games into a new engine, into like Unreal to bring on a console, and they're just completely fucked. And the funny thing is, Rockstar Games is here, you know, finally speaking out about it in, in, a, in a wider sense since all the, you know, since these games launched basically broken, um, saying that the, the, the state in which the games released didn't match their standards or quality, right? The article here from VGC reads that the collection was released with a significant number of technical issues as well as unintended uh, documents within the game's file, specifically referencing unlicensed music and uh, content pulled from the game, things like that. Um, and the game is reaching so much fan backlash that's like has super fucking low Metacritic user score. So Rockstar uh, apologized at first about you know we're sorry we fucked up whatever and promised to fix the game, but now but now they're adding more but now they're adding more context and more and more information around it. First of all, the PC version, the one that was especially fucked, to kind of co- combat that issue, they pulled it down the, the remaster trilogy altogether and instead put back up GTA 3 Vice City and San Andreas, the classic versions that were already available on the on this on Steam and on the PC storefronts to kind of hold as a placeholder while they fix all their broken shit. Um, but their new statement reads, firstly, we want to apologize sincerely to everyone who's encountered issues playing the game. GTA series and games uh, that make up the iconic trilogy are special to us, and we know that our fans around the world uh, feel that way. The updated version of these classic games did not launch to the state that meets our own standard of quality, but the standards that our fans have come to expect either. We have an ongoing we have ongoing plans to address the technical issues to improve the game going forward. We will with each planned update, the game will reach a level of quality that it deserves to be at. In the meantime, it pains us to mention that we are hearing reports of a number of development teams being harassed on social media. We would kindly ask our community to please maintain a respectful and civil discourse and this release as w- uh, around this release as we work through these issues. Now, as always, taking to the internet to harass and threaten and abuse game developers and things like that because people are dis, you know dissatisfied with the way something launched always unacceptable always completely mind-numbingly absurd I, I don't even understand how people post negative shit like that on the internet like my my reaction whenever i see like a bad youtube video or see a bad take is nine times out of ten not always but nine times out of ten i'm just like oh wow i really disagree with that or i think that's really dumb i'm just gonna scroll past it and move on with my existence and not dwell on this but I just don't understand people who are like so upset over something stupid like bringing this PS2 game to PS5 
with 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 new cartoon graphics. Someone was so disappointed by the way that was handled that they're going to go find someone who worked on the game on Twitter and message them that they're going to threaten like kill them or something. Like, I just don't understand how you can be such a fucking shallow, pathetic, sorry sack of shit human being that like not only is that something you could do, but that's something that would even cross your mind or or you would feel any sort of impulse to even want it. I just whatever. But we won't dwell on that because that's not really what the story is about here. But goddamn, as a side note, people are fucking crazy. What I do want to focus on here is the fact that this is enough. I really hoped we would be past this by now. But Battlefield 2042 just did the same thing. But I don't I don't know if it's getting as much flack for it or if, or if EA is taking as much um, responsibility for it. Rather, these ga- these publishers know their games are broken. There's no way. No one is playing this and seeing like that. You see all the videos on Twitter and on the internet of this Grand Theft Auto Remastered trilogy and how broken it is. Like when it rains, the rain doesn't, it just blocks out over like ocean bodies of water and how they use this AI to like redo signs and auto generate new signs in the game. And it was like tr- mistranslating shit and it was fucking up jokes. And, and the game just doesn't fucking work. It's broken. It's visually disgusting. It's everything's wrong. They knew this. So don't ever take, you know, do not go online and harass someone who worked on these ports because they had, well, one, because it's just fucking a video game and move on with your life. It doesn't matter. But two, the, the people who worked on this port had no say in when this was going to come out. There are executive suits well above them who make the decision of when the game has to launch, you know, based on their internals, their financials, things they're, they're talking about with producers, their own internal deadlines it has nothing to do with the developers themselves. That's the first thing. But second of all, now that we've taken away all the responsibility from the developers and we're not constantly shitting on these people who can't control the fact that they weren't given adequate resources and time to get this job done properly. The the the, the problem I just I'm so confused on is why we're supposed to sit back and accept these apologies when they knew. They knew this game wasn't ready. There's no way. No one played Battlefield 2042 and said, oh yeah, this game is 100% ready to go. No one played this GTA Remastered Trilogy and said, oh, I don't notice a single problem. Just as good as I remember them from the good old days. Let's put them all out on the shelves. This is like any other fucking game that releases these days in a broken state with game-breaking bugs, light content, missing things, whatever, false advertisement, whatever the case may be, that drives people nuts these days. There's just no way. Absolutely, they knew. And I'm so I'm so tired of this. Like that, that's a that's a part of why you know aside from the fact that I don't have time. You know I'm trying to play Halo. I don't have time for Battlefield 2042. That's part of why I won't buy Battlefield 2042. I'm like, you want seventy fucking dollars for a broken Battlefield game? Go fuck yourself. You knew your game was broken. I don't care about your investors. I don't care about your profits. I don't care about any of that. I care about you putting out a game that you're confident in because it's ready for prime time and. Dude, like this one's especially egregious because you're just remastering 15, 20 year old games from the PlayStation 2. Like, how fucking hard can it be that you couldn't just, like, how important was this project that you couldn't just delay it another six months or whatever, right? And I don't know, that's really all I had to say on this is like, I'm so tired of this happening again and again and people letting this slide of like, yeah, they, re- they released the game completely fucking broken, but. Oh well, they'll get, they'll get better. You know, Cyberpunk 2077. Like are you, like are you kidding me? You knew your game was broken. <laughs> so all these apologies are fake. Don't take them to heart. 
Now, again, these apologies are issued from PR departments that don't give a shit about you. They just want your money. They're just doing their job. Don't take this out on the developers who had no say over the release date or any of these things, and they knew that the game wasn't coming along, and they wish they had more time. Because trust me, if you're putting out creative projects in the world, the last thing you want to do is put them out half-assed, knowing full well people are going to get mad at you and, and not enjoy this thing you slaved over working on. Obviously, the developers are not the ones to blame here. But don't don't take these apologies from big publishers and PR teams and shit like that. They knew their game was fucking broken. They didn't care. They thought they could get away with it. And they probably did because I'm sure this game sold like crazy. But yeah, that's I, that's all I had to say on this. I'm just so fucking tired of this happening over and over and over again. All right, let's, let's round out with the final story. Speaking of EA. All right, apparently, according to VGC... Plans for a third Star Wars Battlefront title from Battlefield developer DICE were reportedly rejected by EA, it has been claimed. According to journalist Tom Henderson, really, really reputable guy, DICE has pitched Battlefield 3, but ultimately the proposal was rejected by EA due to the cost of using the Star Wars license. According to Henderson, it got turned down because it takes 20% more sales to make the same money. One anonymous developer was quoted stating, EA is now said to say, sorry, EA is now said to be focusing its efforts on the next Battlefield game instead, which Henderson suggests could release as soon as 2023. Several key developers behind the Battlefield series have received have recently left Dice. Henderson points out, including Battlefront 2's creative director Dennis Bronville, core gameplay designer Christian Johan Johannes, and lead hero designer. Gilam Rose, sorry, I'm bad with the European names. Battlefront 2 launched in November of 2017 and received widespread criticism due to its reliance on loot boxes and microtransactions. These were quickly removed by generous post-release content roadmaps that were received favorably by fans, and by the end of the game's uh, content roadmap, it was widely considered to be quite a good game. Now, Lucasfilm confirmed in January that Star Wars exclusive deal with EA was set to end um, by partnering with Ubisoft on one open-world game. Although EA responded by stating that its only long-standing collaboration with Lucasfilm uh, Games will continue for years to come, uh, adding some color to those comments was EA's third-quarter earnings. In February, CEO Andrew Wilson said that the company would continue to invest in Star Wars new and old. If you're looking at our quote, if you're looking at our history of Star Wars, we've had a long, profitable relationship with LucasArts, Lucasfilm, and then with Lucasfilm as part of Disney. As we've established with these very strong parts of our franchise, Wilson added, you should expect that we will continue to invest in those as well as some of our experiences across platforms for the future. Now, we know EA is going to continue to work on this. We know Jedi Fallen Order sold really, really well, sold over 10 million copies, and they're definitely going to make a response, definitely working on a sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. So we know there's more Star Wars to come from EA-owned teams. The question is why not bring back Battlefield. There is the whole Disney was pissed about the way that game was handled. There is the fact that possibly the most expensive games made at EA are DICE's first-person shooter games, their Battlefield games, their Star Wars Battlefront games, things like that. And it is a why-would-you-focus massive, you know, thousand-plus teams on making a Star Wars game where you could literally just make the same fucking game with a Battlefield skin and make a whole lot more money. I think what this is, is bean counters looking at their multiplayer offerings and saying, listen, okay, we're looking at how a Battlefront game sells versus a Battlefield game. Because let's be honest, Star Wars Battlefront and Battlefield are more or less the same fucking game at this point with the way they made these more recent Battlefront games. Um, And they're looking at these, I think, and going... 
Well, Battlefield is a game we own. It's RIP. We sell a copy of Battlefield. We make the money off of that. It's our thing. We sell a copy of Star Wars Battlefront. We owe 20 30%, whatever, to Disney for a licensing fee. And I think what they're doing is they're comparing these things and they're saying it is more profitable for us to continue to focus on Battlefield than to just make Battlefield with Star Wars skin and owe money to Disney. And I think they're looking at those things and they're saying, let's just focus on Battlefront or Battlefield rather, because it's just as profitable, if not more. And it's easier because we work on our own, our own IP that we already own. Conversely, the reason why they're still investing in things like Star Wars Squadron, Star Wars Fallen Jedi, sorry, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Goddamn, I can't talk anymore. You know, different story altogether, right? What is one of the hardest things these AAA developers struggle with these days? It is creating new original IP, especially single-player narrative-driven games that have staying power, that take off, that captivate an audience. The nice thing about using the Star Wars license is you can make a game like Jedi Fallen Order and people will pay attention because it's like, oh, it's a new Star Wars game with a story and it's awesome. You play as a Jedi and it takes place after episode three, blah, 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 blah. Boom. You've now found a way to sell your third, uh, sorry, your story-driven single-player content, which you struggle with. It's hit or miss when you try to do something original. But when you use a known quantity like Star Wars, it sells. It's different with the multiplayer front because you know your first-person shooter war game sells really, really well, whether it's got Boba Fett or whatever the guy in Battlefront's name is, or Battlefield, right? No one knows because it's who gives a shit about Battlefield. That is my guess, is it's just a matter of maximizing profits and using IP in the smartest way possible in ways that only guarantee success, not ways that kind of, you know, just please fans. And so if, if they are seeing, you know, Battlefield 2042, Battlefield 5, Battlefield 1, these games were all selling just as well as Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 did in 2015 and 17. Let's just focus on that, you know. Can you blame them, you know? Can you be surprised that they want to go that route? So, yeah, is it disappointing? Yeah, but it's understandable. I don't know. I can't help but think of it that way. Now it's going to do it for all of our news this week. You guys, let's jump in real quick to our important enough news stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to make their own uh, the, the news themselves. Now, there are rumors going around that uh, over at Warner Bros. Games Montreal, they're working on a second unannounced project alongside the upcoming 2022 game uh, Batman Gotham Knights. So we will see more as uh, more... Rumors and information on that comes available. Really exciting one. Microsoft has launched a virtual interactive Xbox museum for players to visit online. Launched as part of the 20th anniversary celebration. It charts the brand's most significant moments, letting visitors explore their personal history too. You can go to the Xbox virtual museum, look it up online. It's awesome. You log in with your Xbox account. It shows you all the games you played, the games you played the most, your, your favorite console, all the consoles you've owned, all the achievements you've had. Basically, it's like an interactive snapshot in history of all your experience playing on Xbox. It's really fucking cool. Next, Epic Games has acquired rock band developer and dance central developer Harmonix. The Boston, Massachusetts-based studio was founded in 95 and worked uh, also once owned by Viacom. said that on Tuesday that it plans to work with Epic to create musical journeys and gameplay uh, for Fortnite. It also said that it will continue to support existing titles, including Rockman 4 and Fuser, and that it will remain available on Steam and consoles with their previous titles. Now, I'm curious what's going to happen with that one. Uh, I'm actually like genuinely curious about that one. I wonder if that spells good things or bad things for the future of their rhythm-based games. But also, shout out to Harmonix. A lot of people don't know this. I don't know why I know this, but they actually were the ones who created the interactive music exhibit at 
Walt Disney World's Epcot Center in the Imagination Pavilion, where you, that little exhibit where you wave your arms around and you, and you control musical instruments with Figment at Disney World. I know no one knows what I'm fucking talking about, but Harmonics, the guys that make rock bands, they're actually the guys who developed that technology and built that for Epcot at Walt Disney World. Don't ask me why I know that, but it's just one of those cool things where two things I love a lot kind of converge and cross paths, and I just kind of it stands out to me. I remember that. Now, Next up, Mass Effect Legendary Edition could be coming to Game Pass soon. According to a listing on the official Xbox store, which was briefly flagged, the three-game remaster collection could be coming sooner rather than later on Game Pass. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. Next, Hideo Kojima's Kojima production has officially expanded into music, television, and film. The Japanese developer announced this new division located in L.A., which says it will expand games into other mediums. And finally, Tencent has acquired a minority stake in ukulele developer Playtonic Games. While the Chinese gaming giant will own part of the uh, Derby-based company, which will, which is the developer of ukulele and its sequel, The Impossible Layer, Playtonic said that it will retain full creative control over its IP. Ha, ha, ha. We won't say anything else on that. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Ended up being a pretty lengthy episode, huh? Um, real quick, let's round out with some, uh, quick ones. We're going to skip the new game releases of the week because all you need to know is play Halo Infinite. Um, but for games of gold, I have a recap for November and we have December's games announced already. So for the last week, guys, be sure to download moving out It is available for the rest of the month free through games of gold. Also kingdoms two crowns. This is available until December 15th. So what are you waiting for? Download it. Also rocket Knight. You missed it. It's over. But Lego Batman 2 DC Superheroes is available until the end of the month. So go ahead and download that, please. Now, as for December's December's Games of Gold, we do know what we're getting. So starting December 1st, we're getting The Escapist 2 for the whole month. Tropico 5 uh, Penultimate Edition from December 16th to January 15th. Orcs Must Die for the first half of December. And then for the latter half of December, we're getting Insanely Twisted Shadow Planets. So more games that no one cares about. Just have Game Pass. Who cares? But guys, that's going to do it for everything this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're in the States, happy have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a safe holiday. Enjoy some time with family or friends or loved ones and uh, eat some delicious food. For those of you not in the U.S., just have a wonderful week, please, and thank you. Enjoy some Halo Infinite. Maybe uh, maybe give Battlefield or uh, COD a try. I don't know. You know, If you got Game Pass, you got 10 hours of Battlefield 2042. Try that portal mode. It's fun. Otherwise, happy gaming, happy eating, happy life, whatever. Uh, Until next week, thank you so much. Follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, uh, Xbox On Podcast. And follow me at Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash lightningmixtreme. And uh, for last time, I'll say, for this week, for last time. Not for last time. There'll be an episode next week. Please calm down. But until next week, (laughs) power your dreams.
Keep your head 